Welcome to the Bethel Church Austin Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this sermon by a special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit www.bethelchurchaustin.com. You can sit down. Thank you. Before I go into the Word, I just want to, uh, I feel like there, I've got a word for, for um, some people here. I've been kind of playing with this for a couple of weeks, and I keep waiting for the individual, but I believe I'm supposed to speak it over the room. And I feel like there are some people in here that you are surrounded by a sea of ideas, business ideas, ministry ideas, just ideas, and you're not quite sure what, what to do, which idea to pick. If that's you, can you just stand up? If that speaks to you. All right. And what I feel like the word is, pick an idea. Just pick one. Pick one. It's easy, right? Take it into the prayer closet. You're not going to figure it out yourself. Stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to use your own capabilities and your own wisdom to figure out what you're supposed to do, take the idea into the prayer closet and see if God falls on it. If he does, start to pursue it. So, Father, I pray for these guys. Lord, we thank you for new, fresh ideas. We thank you for downloads from heaven. God, we thank you that we don't have to figure it all out. God, that you've got exactly what we need. God, I thank you for new businesses starting. God, I thank you for incredible ministry starting that reach nations and reach people that need you. God, I thank you for these ideas. And God, we just pray that you would blow on them as these guys go into that prayer place with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. Now listen, when you go in the prayer closet, you don't have to strain. Just see what God falls on. If he doesn't fall on it, don't worry about it, right? Pick another one. Take another one in. But God's got stuff for us. He's got stuff for us. He's, he's an amazing God. All right, so I've enjoyed tonight. I enjoyed, Kess, thank you for bringing the, the word over and over. Wasn't that powerful? You know, I actually felt tonight, I felt like that God was going to heal some people at the reading of the word. And so as I'm going to go through some passages of scripture here. I've got one that's fairly long. I don't really like to always get long passages of Scripture when I preach, but um, Zach's going to help us back there. He's going to put some of those on the screen. I'm going to use the Passion Translation. How many love the Passion Translation? Yeah, yeah, listen, I've been teaching for a long time. I love it. It is so great. You know, I, I, uh, I like to use a lot of different translations, but I tell you what, I've been dating this translation, and things are getting pretty serious. Right? I mean, at first, I kind of see that kind of translation. I think, ah, you know, I'm not so sure about that. It's, you know, I don't know if I can teach out of it. But, man, the Passion Translation is fantastic, especially on certain passages. And I think you're going to enjoy this passage tonight uh, in 2 Corinthians um, 5. Or, let me see, 2 Corinthians 3. We're going to go there. Well, let's just wait a second, Zach. We'll go there in just a second. But, um, you know, we are remarkable because of Jesus, the Bible, Joaquin's been bringing this up when, he, when he's been preaching, but we are remarkable. We, 
are new creations. Word says that if anyone's in, in Christ, he's a new creature, that the old has passed away. And I love what Joaquin's been saying. He's been saying, you're not just a better version of yourself, but you're something completely new. And that's so true. We are new creations. And so God has made us something completely new. Who I used to be, I am no more. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, um, we see that these new things have come. And God wants to remind us tonight of exactly who we are. If you don't feel remarkable, I want to tell you that you are remarkable because you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And when that happened, everything in you realigned. Your spiritual DNA changed. Your spirit became alive. Jesus, I want you to think about this for a second. Jesus came and in, into you and lives inside of you. That's amazing. Amazing. And we're not just new creations. We're under a new covenant. And this covenant is the most powerful covenant ever made. There's nothing like it. There's no covenant agreement like it that's ever been made. It offers us forgiveness of sin and fellowship with God. Amazing. It's made us heirs and co-heirs with Jesus. I mean, think about that. You're remarkable. You are a co-heir with Jesus. I mean, it's hard for us to see. Co-heir with Jesus? Are you kidding me? Yes, co-heirs with Jesus. The most glorious being in all the universe, Jesus, signed the covenant with his own blood at the cross. There is no covenant like the one that he has made with us. He fulfilled all the old, the law, in one single swoop. And he's brought us in to this new place as new creations under a new covenant with full access into the presence of God. It's amazing. The Word talks about that he has made our hearts his, his tablet. And he's written his name on it. That's what he did. He wrote his name on our hearts and he's changed us. And he's not only done that, he's placed his nature in us. We are partners with the divine nature of God. Are you, are you amazed yet? Some of you in a minute are going to get amazed. We are partners with the divine nature of God. The divine nature of God lives on the inside of us. You might have had a bad day today. He didn't leave you. He still lives inside of you. The divine nature of Jesus lives inside of you. We have reason to celebrate. We have reason to give thanks. Amen? And so not only this, we're new creations. We're under a new covenant. And because of that, he's given us a ministry of power. And my hope tonight is before you leave this room you will understand that you have a ministry of power. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 3, 
verse 5. We're going to put it up on the screen. Starting in verse 5. She says this, Yet we don't see ourselves as capable enough to do anything in our own strength. For our true competence flows from God's empowering presence. He alone makes us adequate ministers who are focused on an entirely new covenant. Our ministry is not based on the letter of the law, but through the power of the Spirit. The letter of the law kills, but the Spirit pours out life. You know, our competence, Paul says here, flows from God's empowering presence. It's not based on what we know. It's totally based on who we know. If you don't feel competent, I want to tell you that you are. And it comes from His presence. His empowering presence. You know, the law was not bad. It, it showed us where we fell short. But the Spirit shows us the unlimited potential that we have as He empowers our lives. And so we're going to look in um, verse 7. Let's keep going here. Are you with me? All right. Verse 7, even the ministry that was characterized by chiseled letters on stone tablets came with a dazzling measure of glory. Though it produced death, the Israelites couldn't bear to gaze on the glowing face of Moses because of the radiant splendor shining from his countenance, a glory destined to fade away. So we see here Paul talking about the old covenant, talking about letters that were chiseled on stone, the law. And he said that it came with a dazzling measure of glory, according to the Passion Translation, but it produced death. And the Israelites here could not even bear when, and this is speaking uh, of Moses when he came down from the, the mountain and he had been in the presence of God, and even Moses couldn't even come into the fullness of it. In fact, God had to hide him in the cleft of a rock, and God passed by, and he was able to see God's back. That's all he could stand. But the residual of that is when he would come down, his face would be glowing with the presence of God. And it's interesting, the Israelites, they could not even handle it. They could not even look at his face because of the shining of that glory. Now let's go on to verse 8. Yet how much more radiant is this new and glorious ministry of the Spirit that shines from us. For if the former ministry of condemnation was ushered in with a measure of glory, how much more does the ministry that imparts righteousness? This is powerful stuff, y'all. I could say nothing and just read this, and you would get a lot. You would get it all, really. Far excelling glory. Verse 10, what once was glorious no longer holds any glory because of the increasingly greater glory that has replaced it. 
The fading ministry came with a portion of glory, but now we embrace the unfading ministry of a permanent impartation of glory. Could somebody say amen? Listen, how much more radiant is this glory? It's interesting, right? The Israelites could not even look at the face of Moses. The residual of the glory that was fading, they could not even look at it. Yet this word says that this glorious ministry of the Spirit shines from us. Oh, man. They couldn't carry it. Their flesh couldn't handle it. They could not carry it. They could not look at it. But we have it in us. This is so powerful. We are carriers of the glory of God. They could not do it. They could not stand and bask in the presence of God like we can. It's amazing, the ministry of the Spirit. It says here that it shines from us. In, in verse 9, it says that this ministry of the Spirit has the power to impart righteousness. This is so powerful. The law could not impart righteousness. The law did not have the ability to change me. It showed me where I was, fell short, but it did not have the power to change me. But the Spirit imparts righteousness of God into me. It changes, it reconfigures me into a place where I can then carry the glory of God. What the Israelites could not look at, we can stand in. We can be filled by it. It can flow in us and out of us. We can wake up every morning when we go to bed at night. In church, we've got the glory of God on us. This is so powerful when you begin to realize this. And it also says here that it's unfading. Oh, man. You're a new creation, and you're not powerful enough to change that. All right? Oh, but I messed up last week. You don't understand. You're not powerful enough to change that. You still have an unfading impartation of the righteous glory of God into your life. <laughs> and it goes on to say it's a permanent impartation of glory. So it's unfading and it's permanent. Are you with me? Okay. We're going to keep going here. Verse 12. So then. How many know when the word says so then, it's time to listen? So what it's saying, it's saying, hey, so then, based on everything that you just read, I'm going to tell you something else. 
with this amazing hope living in us, we step out in freedom and boldness to speak the truth. So, you know, boldness, guys, boldness is not a personality trait. I've seen extremely quiet people do some incredibly bold things. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't them doing it. It was the Spirit of God doing it in them. In fact, some of you, the quietest guys in here, there's like a volcano inside of you just waiting to burst onto someone. But it's the boldness of the Spirit, and it's based on all of this, this amazing hope, this amazing confident expectation living us that we step out in freedom and in boldness. Paul prayed, he asked for boldness because it's not a personality trait. It's something that God imparts. Y'all want to keep going? I like that. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, it's so polite, Eddie said. <laughs> Such a polite church. All right, let's look at verse 13. It says, we are not like Moses, who used, to, who used a veil to hide the glory to keep the Israelites from staring at him as it faded away. Their minds were closed and hardened, for even to this day the same veil comes over their minds when they hear the words of the former covenant. The veil has not yet been lifted from them, for it is only eliminated when one is joined to the Messiah. So powerful. So until now, whenever the Old Testament is being read, the same blinding comes over their hearts. But verse 16, here's the hope. But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. Now the Lord I am referring to is the Holy Spirit, and wherever He, he is Lord, there is freedom. Amen? If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, you don't have to leave this place the same way that you came in. You can have a spiritual DNA changed. Your life can be literally transformed and changed forever. You can find yourself in a peace, a life, and a joy that you never knew existed, that you could never get in this world because of Jesus. The moment you turn to the Lord with an open heart, the veil will be lifted off of you. And you'll be able to see who he is and what he's got and walk in freedom. Amen. Let's keep going. Yes, please. Okay. Y'all don't have to be so polite. But <laughs> All right. Holy Spirit's here. All right, verse 18. We can all draw close to him. That's good news. With the veil removed from our faces and with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
And so we saw earlier in verse 11, we are under a permanent impartation. But I want to say this, it's not a static impartation. There's something more. Something has happened to me. When I encountered the power of the Holy Spirit, when I encountered Jesus, the love of Jesus, something happened in me. Something changed. But it hasn't stopped. It keeps happening to me. When I come and worship with God's people, it happens all over again. Sometimes I'm like, wow, that was so incredible. I wonder if I knew him even before. Because that was amazing, and I, he's amazing, and he's so much higher and so much more glorious than I've experienced. And so something keeps happening to us. The Word says that we're being transfigured here, it mean, and that means we're being made more radiant. More radiant, more like Jesus. So the glory is not just an experience, okay? It's transformative. It's phenomenal to experience the glory of God, but it's more than that. It doesn't discount that it's incredible to encounter the glory, but it's, it's, it's transformative. It changes us, and it continues to change us. And so here it says that, that we're going from one brighter level of glory to another, or some translations say glory to glory. And let me just say this. The starting place of that is new creation. And the point I want to make here, it's not just bad behavior modification. We often think of transformation that we're in. Oh, yeah, yeah I struggle with that. I'm doing that. God will change that. He wants to change that. He does modify us in our behavior. What we can't do ourselves, he does in us. You know, I cannot defeat sin, but God in me can. It's already defeated. I just have to recognize it. And so it's not just bad behavior modification, but it's his increasing nature. Radiance and power. So when we're going from glory to glory, it, we're not going from bad behavior to better behavior. We're going from glory to glo glory. We're going from radiance to more radiance. We're going from brighter to more brighter. Is that okay to say? I don't know. Brighter. -er. <laughs> Brighter. -er. <laughs> We're going from power to more power. And then it goes on to tell us here, it says, We're all becoming like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. And so the glory changes us. The glory gets inside of us. The glory gets on us. The glory continues to increase on us. The glory reflects off of us. You have a ministry of power. And here's where I'm going with all of this. All right? We're going to do away with the screen now. You have the ability. You have this amazing ability to pull others into the glory of God. Your life is a reflection point for heaven. 
and God wants to increase it. He wants to increase the radiance of Jesus by the Holy Spirit in our lives. He wants to bring his transformational power to Austin, Texas. You have the ability, you are a walking encounter. People can encounter God when you're in the room because the reflection of the glory of God is coming off of you. People could not even know what's happening and something's changing and they're feeling something is happening in this room right now. You can pull moments of God into someone else's life. You can bring them to an appointment with God. And so don't underestimate who you are and don't underestimate heaven and its power. Starting to sound like Eddie with popping off all those truth bombs. Wasn't that awesome last week? Oh, man, he was like in the flow of truth, truth bombs. All right, so don't underestimate yourself. Don't underestimate heaven. Don't underestimate who you are. You are a reflector of glory. You know, this, this whole thing that I'm talking about, Charles Finney, anybody know who he was? He was a great revivalist. Charles Finney took on the religious structure of his day, and it was uh, Puritans. They were hyper-Calvinists. And uh, to the point, it was like, hey, we, we don't do anything, like nothing, don't pray, don't do anything. You don't even need to tell anybody about Jesus, because if it's just going to happen, it's going to happen, and that's it. And Finney didn't like that, so he, he fought those, the Puritans with the power of God. And um, he fought them with this very reality that we bring encounters, that we bring revival. If you've ever heard anybody say, we are revival, Finney figured that out way before we did. And you know what happened with Finney? In his hometown, Rochester, New York, there were 100,000 people converted to Jesus. And I say converted, I'm talking they met him. They met him. I mean, you read the accounts, they're just amazing. And, um, and 1,500 other revivals broke out in the surrounding areas. There was an area of, of up in New England that there was so much revival fire, they called it the burned over area because there was nothing left for the Holy Spirit to burn. Like so many revivals back and forth, back and forth, revivalists going in. I mean, it was breaking out, breaking out. It was just, there was nothing left to burn. It was a burned over area. I mean, God just like did it, just put a fire hose on that area. And that happened through Finney who had this reality that he was a reflector of the glory of God. Finney was no more special than you or I. He was a reflector of the glory of God. Amen. All right. Two Greek words for time. Kronos. Anybody know what Kronos is? Yeah, pretty common, right? So Kronos is linear time. It has a sequence to it, and um, you can't speed it up. You can't slow it down. Right now, there's seconds ticking off, seconds ticking off my life. I don't like to think about that. You know, at 39 years old, it's really, all right, all right, but it's linear, so we live in the stream of Kronos time, right, but there's another word that I love. 
Some of you probably heard, some of you haven't, but it's Kairos. Kairos is a different type of time. Kairos is nonlinear. There's no sequence to it. It's heaven's time. It's defined like this, appointed time with no regard for length of time, the opportune time, and I love this, the moment in which everything happens. The time when God acts, all right, when he bursts through. So we try to sometimes fit that into, into Kronos, but it doesn't fit. It's a whole different concept of time. It's God time. And God is looking to, to bring Kairos, heaven's time, into people's Kronos. And you carry it. Now, this is really powerful if, you be, powerful if you begin to understand this. You carry Kairos time. Maybe God's waiting for you. Maybe God's waiting for you. You carry Kairos time. Now, I'm not saying God can't act independently of us, but we don't really realize how much we are in partnership. He has extended partnership to us in the earth. I don't think we fully understand it, and it's hard for us to conceptualize. But Kairos time is inside of you. You have the ability to bring encounters to people. You have the ability to bring God time, appointed time, the time when everything happens, the time when God acts, the time when God bursts through. You have the ability to bring that to people around you. Maybe the Kairos is waiting in Austin for us. When we decide, when we begin to understand who we are and what we carry, and how we reflect the glory of God. I'll tell you a story. One time, Stacy and I were um, on the streets of New York City with a team. I've told this story in different venues here, but never in this larger one. But we're on the streets out there, and we're, we're offering people prayers. They, they walk by in Brooklyn, very crowded street. We're right in the middle. There's people going by on both sides of us, and Stacy stops a, a guy and a lady, um, and calls me over, and we begin to talk to them. Now, this was kind of amazing. Uh, I don't know which one was which, but one of them was a, in a, they were both in a gang, and one of them was the Bloods, one of them was the Crips. I don't know how that happens. They're kind of like our mortal enemies, I think, you know. I was like, you know, is there like a dating site for that online? I don't know. But I was like, okay, Blood Crip, all right, you guys are together. Now, these guys were in a tremendous amount of pain. They were drinking pretty heavily, talking like the flask in the back pocket, and they, you could tell they were trying to hide their pain. The lady, she didn't want to stop. The guy did stop just pain. I'm talking heavy, heavy pain. If you can imagine, his knuckles were, were cuts all over. You could tell where he had been in fights, like, recently. He was not a guy that I would just, like, want to meet, you know, without Jesus, the power of Jesus, honestly. I mean, he was a rough dude, and uh, we began to just share the love of God with him right there in the middle of that sidewalk with both of them, and as we began to talk, 
tears began to flow. Puddles forming on the streets of New York City. As the presence of God began to fall on that little circle. We were in a little circle just with them. And you could feel the presence of God just become, begin to minister to this guy. And this guy's just all this pain and God's doing amazing things in his heart and in his life. And here's what was amazing as we did that. There were people walking by and they began to look and they were like, what's going on there? What's happening? And this group of girls stopped. And the one girl, New Yorkers don't have trouble bursting in on what you're doing. She kind of edges her way in and she goes, I want that. (laughs) Come on, guys. This is on the streets of New York City. The power of God, the presence of God, the glory of God. People passing by, they don't know what it is, but they want it. And so we got there, they're praying too. The Kairos, the appointed time, right there on the streets of New York City. This happened about uh, about a year ago. Stacy and I experienced a similar thing with a, a guy that he was an exterminator at our house, spraying for bugs, right? And Stacy begins to talk to him. She calls me down. I was upstairs. We begin to. He had had cancer, and uh, he begins to share with us. He's maybe in his early twenties. He begins to share with us. And um, about cancer and just all that he'd gone through. And he didn't know Jesus. <laughs> and this guy, we're like, okay, can we pray for you? He goes, yeah, but don't touch me. I don't know why, but we're like, hey, we don't need to touch you. So we just stand there. We just say a quick prayer. Before the prayer's over, he's just weeping. He's just crying. Love of God's all over him. I mean, just weeping. He's going, I don't know what's happening. I don't understand this. I've never felt anything like this in my life. I don't, this is, what is this? I don't know what's going on. I've never felt this love like this in my entire life. Holy Spirit's amazing. We're sharing Jesus with him. He's just surrendering his heart. He leaves. As he's going down the sidewalk, he's still crying of our house. A couple weeks later, we see another bug. We're like, yes, we're going to call the exterminator again. Let's see what happened. He comes over, and uh, I'm, I'm outside, and he, I don't know what I had to do. He whispers. He's like, hey, come here. He goes, dude, what you did, of course, we knew it wasn't us. It was the Holy Spirit. What you did, was I, that was amazing. I, have ne- I am not the same. I am changed. I've never ever experienced Love like that in my life. I didn't know God even existed. This is amazing. Like he's going on and on and on. And then he's like, by the way, uh, my cancer test came back and I don't have cancer anymore. But, right, right? But then he's, but then he's like, that was like an afterthought. He was like, but you don't understand. You don't understand. This is amazing. The love of God. We carry it, guys. We carry it. The love of God, the glory of God is inside of us. We absolutely carry it. And it's amazing what we carry. Amen. All right. Let's shift another gear here. Are you okay with these gears? All right. So this has a prophetic part to it, I feel like. Um, A few years back, I had the opportunity to go to Ephesus. 
Anybody know about Ephesus? We read about it in the Bible. The Ephesians lived in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is now uh, basically ruins, but even the ruins are quite amazing. It was one of the greatest cities of its day. I mean, it was cosmopolitan. The only city that they say that rivaled Ephesus was Rome itself. Maybe 250,000 people live there. They worship this goddess, false god, uh, Artemis, which was also known as Diana among the Greeks. The temple that they built to her was known as the seventh wonder of the world. That's how impressive it was. You can't see it now. I think there's pieces of it. It, it was ripped down later. Um, but the Apostle Paul lived there for three years. Later, John the Apostle lived there. It's believed that that was the city he was in when then he was then sent to Patmos where he got the revelation. Amazing place. And so I had this privilege of, of going there. And you can read about it in Acts 19 and 20. And Ephesus was a revival center. I don't know if there's anything. I heard Bill Johnson say this the other day. Two cities, Nineveh and Ephesus, were the greatest two cities of revival that you read about in, in the Bible. And so Ephesus was this amazing thing. The little that we can see about it was just amazing. So when Paul first went to Ephesus, the first thing that happened, he met these guys, and uh, they were known as followers of the way. I guess they were a bunch of young adults. I don't know, right? So they had cool names back then, apparently, as well. We have the well. They had the way. All right. And so, but there's these 12 guys, and they have been baptized by John the Baptist. They become followers of Jesus. And Paul asks them, he's like, hey, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they're like, no. We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And then Paul prays for them, and they begin to, they get baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so that was Paul's first time in Ephesus. This revival breaks out among these 12. But what began to happen in Ephesus was so amazing. Paul ended up, I believe after that he left, but then he came back and he stayed there for three years. And um, people were in Ephesus were publicly repenting and following Jesus. You can read about, um, in Acts 19, about these people that were... Uh, using spells and incantations and sorcery, how they came and they burned all their books of sorcery. So many people were coming to Jesus, they were just burning them. And it says that it equaled 50,000 shekels of silver. And I believe in today's terms, I've read where that is something like $2 million that they burned in that city. And then that's also the place, if you read in the Bible, that, that Paul's aprons and pieces of clothing would be carried out of the city and or carried to other people, I guess, in the city, and they would get healed because there was so much anointing on Paul. You also read in, in Acts 19 about a, a riot that happened, and um, these merchants rioted. They were, they were merchants that made these little figures of the goddess Artemis, and there was so much revival happening, happening in Ephesus that they uh, began to lose business. And it's pretty amazing because you can walk, right, you can walk today through the area where the merchants sold those little figures. And it talks about how in that passage they got really upset and they started this big riot. And so two of Paul's friends, his traveling companion guys, were uh, two, two other revivalists were, were um, pulled into this big amphitheater that seated 25,000 people. It's amazing. That amphitheater is still there today. I went to that amphitheater, and I pulled out, what did I do? I pulled out Acts 19. I'm like, this is pretty amazing. And it says that in that amphitheater, 
The people were so angry and so upset. Some didn't know what was happening. Others were angry, but they shouted, uh, great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours straight. And Paul is outside of this, this big amphitheater, and his friends are inside, and this riot's going crazy. They're wanting to kill these guys. But here's what's amazing. Paul wanted to get inside. Paul was a walking encounter, man. He's like, yes, 25,000 people, put me in. Well, but his friends were, his friends were like, hey, they're going to kill you, and, and they had to restrain him from going in. That dude was intense. He wanted to go preach the gospel. Anyway, the riot ends up being broken up. Some of the, the council people uh, began to kind of reason with, with the mob and kind of basically talked him out of it. And, um, and so you read about this amazing account that still the ruins are there today where this happened. And it's an amazing city. I mean, like when you walk through there, you can tell this city was really, really a, gr a grand city. The other thing that happened in Ephesus was all of Asia was touched with the gospel. The whole of Asia, as teams went out, you get the sense that Paul was staying there, but these teams went out of, of Ephesus, and they carried Kairos all over Asia, all over the whole of Asia. There were churches being planted and, and, and the gospel spreading. And when I was there, and just the other day, God told me, he said, Shane, pay attention to Ephesus, prophetically. Pay attention to Ephesus. I believe this is a word for us. Pay attention to Ephesus. <laughs> Previous on that trip, something amazing happened. Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey, and I was with a small team, and this guy comes up to us. There's only maybe 5,000 Christians in a country of 100 million people, and this guy comes up to us, and he wants to know about Jesus. His English is pretty broken, and I was not like, I was thinking, okay, I don't really have a lot of time like to try to explain everything to this guy. So I did the best evangelistic thing that I've ever done in my life. I put my hand, I said, hey, can I put my hand on you? He says, yes. I said, Holy Spirit, show him Jesus. He hits the ground crying. I mean, he's like, glory's like all over him. He's crying. He just, this goes, he cries and he wails for, for 30 minutes. You could feel the tangible presence of God, like just all down, like we got on our knees. We were just like, this is amazing. And so then after about 30 minutes, it ebbed a little bit, and he was still, you know, under it. And um, <laughs> did I say he was Muslim, by the way? Okay. And he's encountering Jesus right there. And so he gets up, and he kind of staggers over to a chair. And so I walk over. I said, hey, man, what just happened? Oh, my gosh, I saw Jesus. I saw him. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. I can't, this is amazing. I can't believe it. Jesus is amazing. I, I've, you know, I, words I could have never described. This guy was seeing. And I said, would you like to follow him? Yes, I would like to follow him. Just tell him. Jesus, I want to follow you. Bam. He's in the kingdom, right? 
I mean, I didn't try to reason or argue or I'm not even that good. I'm not that good at that. Like I I forget what my name is when I do that. Right? And so amazing. Two days later, I'm in three days, four days, whatever, I'm in Ephesus. All right, the anointing's getting stronger right now. A few years later, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I'm not finished yet, but I'm going to ask them to come up. I believe we're going to encounter some glory. Prophetically, Pay attention to Ephesus. I believe Austin. Is like in Ephesus. Listen, guys, we're not just here. God wants Austin, Texas to be a revival center. The word in Acts 19 talks about how God's worst was in God's word was increasing in power. God wants his word to go out and increase in power, and he wants to do it through his reflectors. You hear us use this term a lot about revivalists, and you may think, well, that's not me. No, you are a revivalist. You are a reflector. You have the power of Jesus inside of you. You are moving from glory to glory. His radiance is increasing upon you. Just give your heart more to it. There, it is amazing how God will use you to reflect in somebody else's life. There is someone in this city that needs that reflection that you've got. That reflection will change everything for them. And I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, we owe the world an encounter with God, the presence of God. I love that statement. Why do we owe it? Because we owe it because of Jesus has done this for us. I cannot keep it to myself. I've got to share it with others. I don't want to keep it. It's, I mean, think about the moments you have in the presence of God, what it's like. Think about the peace that you have. It's amazing. I don't want to keep that just for myself. I want to reflect it out to someone else. I don't want my fear to keep me from doing that. I don't want my lack of understanding who I am and how much power I actually have to keep me from doing that. We carry the Kairos. God wants to bring transformation to Austin, Texas. I don't think we have any full idea how powerful that is going to look. God is going to overturn gods of this city, and he is going to pour his life out. People are going to abandon what they've been trying to do to find meaning in, in life, Abandoning the things that they've been worshiping and begin to follow after Jesus. But it's going to come through a reflection of your life. Every single one of us in, in this place, every day, go places that no one else in this room goes. In every, in every single one of those places, there is someone that needs the reflection that you have. And I can promise you this. If you will step out like it says in boldness, something will happen. Something will happen. Any encounter God has ever brought to someone else through me, I didn't, all I did is I was just available. I just made myself available, and I, I might have even stumbled over my words. But then I'm like, hey, can I pray for you? Pray. God shows up. 
God will show up through you. Confident expectation, hope, he will show up through your life for someone who needs it. God burns to show up for people. He loves them just as much as he loves you. If he showed up for you, why would he not show up for them? God is not going to withhold his love and his grace. People can accept or reject it, but he does not withhold it. He is more than willing to transform our city. He is more than willing to make this a revival center. And I can tell you there will be revivalists that will go out all over the place. I believe God is going to give this city, he's going to give Bethel, Austin, different regions where we go, and we're going to see outbreaks of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see churches planted. We're going to see transformational power come out of this place. There will be expressions that come out of here in the nations. And it's going to be fantastic to be a part of. It's going to be amazing. But I believe Austin is going to be a central place of that. And listen, it's not just because it's a, a place of influence. It's because God's going to show up in this place. That's what's going to happen. You know, in New York, one time I was talking to a guy. And I told him I, li I lived in Texas, and he got kind of like stoic. He's like, oh, those religious people of Texas, like you can't party in Texas, you know. And, and then I said, well, I'm from Austin. He's like, oh, that's different. But it's because he thought of Austin as like, hey, you can go party. You can just do all this, you can just do all this sin. God's going to change that. Austin's not going to be known just for a good time in the world. It's going to be known for Jesus. Go to Austin. Get an encounter with Jesus. Take that encounter out and share it with someone else. And listen, you guys are like, we're, it's like a spark. You're like the first part of this as far as the expression of Bethel Austin goes. There's many other expressions in the city. We're not the only one. Many followers of the way. But God wants to do it. And Paul... Paul, a few, few years later, he left Ephesus a little bit after that big riot. A few years later, he wrote them a letter called the Book of Ephesians. And he wrote it from prison. Sometimes I think the only way Paul was going to be able to write was to go to prison. He was too busy sharing the gospel. I mean, they, they had to chain him up, like, just so he could get some writing time. But it's amazing. He didn't stop. He just kept going. And I think about the revelations that he had where, like, when you read the Word, you're, you go, man, that's phenomenal. But, you know, the revelation that Paul had is what created a passion in him. And, you know, the greatest revelation that Paul had was that Jesus loved him. And loved others. That was the greatest revelation. I mean, you read Romans, it's like, man, there's so much in there. I don't know what to do. The greatest revelation was that Jesus loved. That's what drove him. For the love of God compels us to share the gospel. If you're afraid to share the gospel, just get in the love of God. It'll compel you. You won't be able to stop yourself. Somewhere in there, I want my fear just to die because it's not as important as someone encountering Jesus. And listen, we're all human. I experience that as well. There's many times I chicken out. But I don't want to chicken out. I want the love of God to compel me. I want the love of God to, to push me forward, to move me, that I can't stop. 
that I realize what I carry and I realize someone else needs it. But Paul writes this letter, and I imagine he's in prison and he's thinking about the Ephesians and he's getting revelation for them. And he writes them this letter, and this amazing letter. I want to read a little bit of this letter to you. Is that okay? Why don't we stand as we read it? In just a moment, you're going to have an opportunity to respond to God. And I would just suggest when time comes, you just run down here. We just fill the altar up. If you can't get here, get in the aisles wherever. You can encounter him where you are right there too. But just respond however you feel moved to respond. There's no particular way you have to do it. But let your heart begin to open up because God's got an encounter for us right now. God is going to pour out his spirit again on our hearts. But Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians, and I'm going to start in verse 17, and he said this. He said, I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to you the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation to know him through your deepening intimacy with him. The Ephesians, he's praying that their intimacy would deepen, that they would come to this place, that the spirit of revelation, that the Holy Spirit would bring them to a greater understanding of knowing him because it's not just stay at glory, it's glory to glory to glory. He's writing to a city of revival, and he's saying, listen, I pray that your intimacy deepens, and I want to say that over you. Let your hunger explode for him. Let your hunger, not just in a service, but every day, let it explode for him. Let the revelation of the Spirit of God come over you and get intimate with him. Let the love of God explode over your life. Let it burst out into your home. Verse 18, he says this, I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. That is the wealth of God's glorious inheritance, inheritances that he finds in us, his holy ones. That God would illuminate the eyes of your imagination. This is what I pray begins to happen. If it's not already happening to you right now, that the eyes of your heart would be illuminated with light that you would experience not just the revelation, but it says the full revelation of the hope of his calling. Listen, guys, we are called. We individually and we as a church, we are called to be lights in this world. We are called to be walking encounters. We are called to carry the gospel, the good news, the power of God, that God loves people, to bring people to that place of salvation. We are called to do that, and we're called to do it right here in Austin, Texas. That you would know the hope, the confident expectation of the calling that is on you. You may say, I don't feel very powerful. Get in his presence. You're going to understand his power. Then it goes on in verse 19. So he wants us to know him and know who we are. Verse 19 says this. So powerful. Y'all ready? I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement 
of this immense power as it works through you. Now listen to this. This is the mighty power that was released when God raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to the place of highest honor and supreme authority in heavenly realms. He's praying that we would know the immeasurable greatness of God's power. And it's not just know it, but it's made available to us. And as that happens, our lives would become an advertisement. An advertisement as that power works through us. But it's amazing because it says it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. This is no small power, guys. It's immeasurable. It not only raised him from the dead, but that same power exalted him to the place of highest honor. That is the power that is inside of you. And I'm just going to finish this passage because it's so awesome. It says, and now he is exalted as first above every ruler, authority, government and realm of power in existence he is gloriously enthroned over every name that is ever praised not only in this age but in the age that is coming and he alone is the leader and the source of everything needed in the church god has put everything beneath the authority of jesus christ oh man and has given him the highest rank Above all others. And now, we, his church, are his body on the earth, and that which fills him who is also being filled by it. We are reflectors. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit www.bethelchurchaustin.com.